So welcome. It's great to be having this guest on. Um, and do check us out every week, every Wednesday, we'll be releasing new episodes of women, just everyday women, just like me and you, um, hearing their stories, hearing their journey, and just having real, real conversations. So please check us out every week uh, from 8pm on Wednesday uh, for women working well, uh, real talk. Let's get straight into it and introduce our first guest. So welcome everybody. This is my seventh installment of Women Working Well Real Talk, your host Atom Henshaw. It's just so wonderful to have so many amazing women on the call. Uh, these last few weeks so uh, it's just been fantastic and yet it's our seventh week and we do have an an amazing uh, woman that is joining us Um, her name is Stephanie Solomon welcome Stephanie hey hey how are you how are you I'm good girl I'm good 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 it's great to have you on the show so she'll just get straight into it so I'm asking all my guests my wonderful women the question how many hats uh, would you say that you wear as a woman? <laughs> I feel like I've always worn many, many hats. Um, I don't even count them, but I wear so many. But where to begin? Obviously, first and foremost, I am somebody's daughter. So I came into this world as someone's daughter. I became immediately someone's sister, um, someone's niece, someone's grandchild, someone's eventually someone's auntie, <laughs> someone's cousin, and someone's friend. I'm someone's godmother. Um, I'm someone's manager, I'm someone's mentor. I belong to someone else, I'm someone's partner. Um, I'll soon be someone's wife, <laughs> someone's mother, but yeah. <laughs> um, I'm, yeah, so many hats, but I think my most important hat is that I'm someone's daughter. I'm oh, someone's daughter. Thank you. I think I counted 12 hats there, Stephanie. <laughs> That's a lot of hats. How, how are you just oh, yeah. maneuvering between all those 12 hats? That is a good question. <laughs> a lot of rebalancing, a lot of um, changing plates. <laughs> plates are spinning, spinning, spinning. A lot of changing plates, but yeah, a lot of rebalancing has gone on over the years. Oh, great. Well, I'm sure our listeners are dying to know more about you. So do tell us a bit about yourself, uh, what you do, how long you've been doing it, and what are the things you love about what you do? <laughs> so what do I do? Um, I would describe myself work-wise as a policy professional. So I'm a senior policy advisor. I work in government. I work for a specific department called the Home Office and I've been advising government and its department on crime policy, policing policy and policy that relates to laws and implementation of laws. Um, currently today, what do I do? Um, I advise on domestic abuse policy. So my current work is we have a law going through the House of Lords that is explaining what domestic abuse is. And my job is to put together guidance that will help people understand what domestic abuse is and isn't. And to me, that's quite important because over the years, the conversation about abuse has really developed from people thinking that abuse is all about physical scars, punching, slapping, kicking, and, you know, homicide death. But actually, uh, one of the things that I've learned over my short time in domestic abuse policy making is that domestic abuse, someone said to me, a doctor, actually an A&E doctor said to me, you know, it's not about violence, it's not about injury, it's about harm. And it's something that we haven't really understood. A lot of domestic abuse victims are actually emotional victims. They've been victimised emotionally, psychologically. They've been controlled, they've been coerced into doing something they didn't want to do. They've been abused in different ways without oftentimes injury. So we look for the manifestation physically of something that's going on beneath the surface. But that's what I do this day. I've been doing policy for, um, I think it's my second year now. Um, I've worked in the civil service and the civil servant, obviously. I've worked in the civil service for 
a number of years since 2014. I started off as a very um, humble AO. If anyone knows what AO is, it's just literally like right at the bottom. And I worked my way up. So I've had a number of promotions. But I started as an assistant to a judge. I've been going to court, being like a baby barrister, like taking cases, immigration cases. I've done a lot. Um, But I love it. I love my job. I love what I do. I love who I represent and I love who I work for, which is obviously such as people, but mainly victims and people who are vulnerable. Oh, great. Thanks for sharing that. So <laughs> you, you, just, you just ended like you, how to say that you love your job. So what are the things that you love about your role? Hmm. There's so many things. I think for my role today, what I love about it obviously is I'm in an area that I'm passionate about. I've always been interested in the law and how law is made, how the law affects people, uh, whether it wants to or it doesn't want to, um, directly or indirectly. Um, I have a background in law, so I had a law degree and a law master's, and I specialise in criminal law. So I was working and writing about sexual abuse, hate crimes. Um, my, my specialty was writing about how the police treat black men in their custody. So police custody in relation to black people has always been something that's been very interesting to me. So I've always had jobs working in courts, working in courts, sort of advocating, cross-examining, um, writing written submissions, giving oral submissions and oral representations. And I finally moved into policy as a response to Windrush because what I love about my job is that I'm able to make a difference in the community. Um, I have for so long been on the back foot, so I've been the one sort of reacting to policy in court, <laughs> obviously always in court, reacting to policy written for me and for people. But I want to be the person making, creating, shaping, mm. advising that policy. So now I, I get to create that and it's beautiful. I love my job because I'm able to bring my voice, my experience, my lived experience, my expertise, my education, my personality um, to my work. And that's what I love. And I think the best thing about what I do is that it's so easy to see the difference that my day-to-day makes. Um, just an example is that I helped co-author or like um, co-publish um, a report into how employers can support victims of domestic abuse at work. And that was something we published on the 14th of January. It's been amazing because for many employers, they don't know how to support victims, especially when people aren't always forthcoming with sharing or disclosing their victimization. But we wrote um, a really short report just explaining what, the, uh, what victims need, what they require in terms of flexible working arrangements, in terms of just having a space to talk about their victimization little change that employers can make without being experts obviously that would make a victim comfortable and also feel safe because for many people work is a place of refuge and when you're working from home there's still ways that we can help workers feel safe to disclose their harm and their trauma so that's something that makes me feel proud do what i do uh, and makes people proud every day so just on policy you know just when when you hear the word policy it it, it almost feels that it's such a, a huge feat to accomplish and to deliver to really affect change you know, how, how does that sit with you? I mean, it's great to hear that, you know, this is the, you know, this is the thing that you, you that you really love about your role, really trying to uh, create change and really help those who have really been affected by uh, domestic abuse. But I'm just wondering, just on the practical side of things, you know, how, you know, what, how would you go about shaping or developing a policy just for our listeners so they can understand mm-hmm. that well a bit? So one thing we always do when we're doing policy, when we're working through policy, is we do what we call scoping. And scoping looks like us reading as much as we can about this area. So when I worked on hate crime, for example, that was just, um, last year, and we were developing the next hate crime strategy for 2020 to 2024, um, we spent, and I spent a lot of time reading into hate crime research. And that means talking to stakeholders, people who know way more than I know, people who've been doing this 
four years because as a project person I'm in my post perhaps six months one year I move on so I move on the business different crime projects I'm moving around to so what I do I speak to people um, I read research I read articles I read studies so I educate myself on what's already out there obviously I read reports I read things that have been published by government and by other organisations um, on hate crime and other issues and I speak I think one of the most important things we do as policy professionals is speak to the community I think we have to I mean, we have to engage with the community that the pod is going to affect just so we understand how it feels, how it feels to live under a policy that really shapes your life. And that looks like hate crime, it looks like domestic abuse, it looks like things that relate to immigration control, like any policy you can think of. We have to talk to people, but also talking to the experts, the practitioners, the experienced heads and bodies who know more than I know. It's really important to understand that we have a limit to our knowledge. And I never call myself, it's so weird, I don't call myself an expert of, of policy or domestic abuse because I'm not here long enough to be an expert. Yes, I know a lot about it. Yes, I can probably speak to it and speak about it for a long time because I've been doing it day in, day out. But there are people who know way more than me and they should be paid for their expertise. They should be consulted. They should be asked. And I think how we develop policy is we go through so many different iterations of writing, drafting, putting together submissions to a minister, like a, a politician, a political person. Getting, getting advice up to them, getting our suggestions up to them. Ultimately, I know as a policymaker, it's not my choice. I can only ever put together a proposal, which is like an option paid for, just a suggestion of what we should be doing in this space. It lies with the minister in charge to decide what we're going to do. Um, policymaking is very political. As a civil servant, I'm not political, so I have to put my feelings out of it. I have to take my, you know, all my feelings, all my preferences, my prejudices out of it, what I'm writing, and put that up to the minister. Let him or her decide the course of action they wish to take. It may not be the one that I want them to take, if you know what I mean. I may not fully want that thing to happen, but politically, it's for them to do, because they've been voted in, they've been chosen yeah. as a person in charge of this area. Oh, great. Thank you. Uh, I mean, and, and that's helpful to just to share, shed a light onto that. So take us back, Stephanie, um, back to where it all began. Uh, so <laughs> after you leave in school and you determine, I mean, you really touched on it and that you said that you, you do a dissertation on criminology as well. So I'm just wondering, um, start us from there after you left school. What has been the journey um, since leaving school to where you are right now? So my journey's been really weird, um, I would say, because ever since I was little, I've always wanted to be one thing, and that's a lawyer. And I've only ever wanted to Lawyers tend to be like this. Like, lawyers tend to have this one career ambition, I want to be a lawyer. I'm a solicitor or a barrister, I've always had that in my head. And actually, I still do want to be a lawyer, so it's really funny that I'm talking about policy, which I love, but I know ultimately that I'm going to go back to my law. Um, so it started when I was at university, I guess, doing a law degree, loving my law degree, you know, living that uni life that we all, that we all live, then going on to do a master's. And the master was actually in criminal law and criminal justice. And it gave me a passion for not just the law, but also young people. And a passion for teaching people about the law and educating them about their rights, which is something I still carry today and still exercise today in different ways. Um, it started with me finishing my master's, graduating, you know, having done this part-time job on the side for a little bit of money, and applying to join the civil service. I think a lot of people want to join the civil service. I can get people who message me on LinkedIn, um, on my alumni, my, my university alumni network, website and ask for help. Hey Stephanie, like, I see you're doing this job. I want to do that too. Can you give me some tips? Can you help with my CV? Can you help with this and that? And I love doing that because when I started, I applied for the first job I saw that was in a court. <laughs> I'm kind of happy I did that because it's given me a lot of experiences of working with different people, difficult people and just delivering. But I kind of wish I'd gone through maybe another channel. And I think my journey has been a bit, I would say unconventional because I didn't do a fast stream. 
I didn't come on a like specific course. I literally started as an AO and worked my way up the rank to where I am today. Um, even as I speak about this today, it's funny because I'm going through another transition, career transition in my job and in my life where I'm moving out of extra policy. And I, <laughs> I'm talking about domestic abuse with such passion, but realistically, I'm probably at the last um, of my postings for policy and I'm going to be moving back into law. So my career is actually moving on again. Um, I've been doing policy long enough to know that my policy time has come to an end. It's been, <laughs> it's been a few years in policy. And as I said from the beginning, I came into policy as a result of Windrush and what had happened with Windrush and me wanting to make a difference, not just to black people, but also to minoritized groups, whether that is women, whether that is people who are disabled, people who are not from this country, you know, people who are migrants. I mean, I just want to make a difference to others, people who always identify as the other. So my career is shifting again. I'm going to be going soon um, to start my education, or we start my education, so I'll be going back to law school and I'll be going to train to become a barrister, which is all very exciting and scary at the same time. Wow. Because oftentimes we don't talk about our dreams, especially when it comes to work, because I think oftentimes we want to talk about when it's done, not when it's just beginning. So this is me saying, yeah, like I'm coming to an end of one career and about to begin another, and that's quite exciting for me. Ah, so what would you say is the end goal for you? You know, what would you determine success to be in, in your sphere? Hmm. This is interesting. I think it's a good question because I think oftentimes we measure success by things that we've achieved mm. and accolades and, yeah, almost trinkets, things that we have acquired over our life existence. And I don't, I, personally, I don't choose to measure success like that. For me, success looks like, and it sounds a bit like, ooh, fluffy, but it looks like living life well, living life on purpose. Um, would I call myself successful? Humbly, I would, um, because I think back on my life over 29 years of history and I think, well, what have I done? What have I gotten through? What have I overcome to get here? And it's been quite a lot. You know, it's been quite a lot. And I think every day that I live my life on purpose, I can say that I am a success. My success isn't measured in what I've done. Yes, on a human basic level, I've achieved great things. I've been rewarded very well for those things. But that's not success to me. Um, my success comes from what I achieve in regards to my relationship with God. And that gets a bit different because that's measured personally. You know, I, I call myself a child of God. I'm a Christian. I believe in God. So I'm a child of God. I believe that I'm loved unconditionally by God. But I also believe that my identity doesn't lie in my achievements. My identity lies in what God says about me. So I rest and I choose to think about and rest in God's love. And I choose to not strive or not fight for other people's approval. So that question of success for me is again unconventional uh, my success isn't what i've done it's what i am doing and it's actually what i'm getting through and what i'm overcoming every day um that's success to me oh so what does the end goal look like what does what what's you know you you said that you're embarking you're going to be embarking on um this, this career to become a barrister so it would you say that's the end goal you really want to be in the court in the law system really uh, helping those who are seeking for justice? Yes, definitely I do. Um, but I think the ultimate end goal is even bigger than that because ultimately the end goal, I want to improve people's lives. Mm. I want people to become more aware of the law and more aware of their rights in relation to the law. Um, that goes beyond being a barrister because I can be a barrister and do that, but 
I'm also, um, I started talking to people about the law and teaching the law. So I have this thing called Law Lessons for Life where I teach young people about criminal justice issues and basically make the law accessible. And part of that is talking to them about crime and talking to them about how crime <laughs> relates to them and how they're viewed, um, you know, the age of criminal responsibility, the age at which you can be sentenced and <laughs> put in prison, things like that. Um, different legal issues that relate to young people. So I had um, a workshop a few weeks ago where I was talking to young girls, young black girls actually, about stop and search and what to do, what to say if you were ever arrested or if you were ever stopped by a police officer and what this thing called joint enterprise looks like and you know, other issues that relate to being a young black person in London who may have to deal with the law or a police officer on a interesting summer day like this. Um, the end goal for me is educating people. The end goal for me is improving someone's life through education. And again, it goes back to making a difference and adding value. Um, I think my end goal, I answer the question, what does it look like is being a blessing to people who look like me and those who don't. It may be done through the law, it may be done through education, it may be done through other means, but ultimately it's adding value through education. Oh, great. Thank you for that. And what would you say um, to those people who are looking to get into the civil service, looking to become a barrister? What top tips would you would you share with them? I think one of the top things that I've learned, it's, it's so many things. I think one is look for allies. I think when you any career, whatever you're trying to get into, whatever you're trying to go into, always seek allies. Look for people who can help you. Look for people who will support you. Find an ally. Find someone that you can speak to about your dreams. Um, find someone that you can share your fears with. Um, oftentimes we're afraid to what we want to do because we're afraid of people's criticism or we're afraid of people thinking we're not good enough to do that or maybe it will never happen. Um, there's no expiration date on dreams. So just look for an ally. Um, where you can look for a mentor, I think it's really important to mentor people but also to be mentored. Um, I'm currently a mentor to people, both professionally through the Social Mobility Foundation because I, I'm really passionate about people rising through the ranks and obviously um, just achievement and you know raising up aspirations amongst people who come from difficult hard backgrounds but I'm also a mentor on a personal level to you know a young guy and a young girl who are just going through life so I think look for a mentor um, someone that can speak into your life and help guide you through life look for someone to mentor um, I believe that we all should have mentors but we can all become something for another of life um, I also think we should use our voices better Oftentimes we go into spaces where we're the only one of our kind in that space and we're afraid, we feel shy, we feel somehow as if we don't fit in. And I always say, don't reduce your voice, use it. You know, I thank God for the spaces I inhabit because I'm able to use my voice in a way that is different. I like to challenge things. I like to disrupt things sometimes. I, I like to bring different ideas and I like to question why we do things. And that's just the way I use my voice. Um, always with a smile, obviously, always, always nicely. But I think use your voice, understand the power of your voice. Um, something else I would say in terms of tips getting into any industry, but especially the legal industry, don't sit on your dream. Um, I'm talking as a woman who's 29 years old who always wanted to be a lawyer. And yet my trajectory has not been a straight linear course. It's been filled with bumps and different sorts of like hits. And, you know, I've gone round and I've had false starts and I've come to crossroads where I've literally taken every road in the crossroads. So don't sit on your dream just because the path hasn't been straight. It may not be a straight course, but you will get there. Um, it starts with believing in yourself. It starts with believing in what you were made to do, what you feel you're made to do. Um, that's really important as well. If I can add something else, just generally, 
Um, I'm a massive advocate of mental health and well-being. And one of the things that I say is that, you know, I don't believe that we're meant to hold all things together. And as a Christian, I believe that God holds all things together, not me. So it's okay to say that I'm not okay. It's okay to say that I don't feel great. It's okay to say that I'm having a difficult moment. Um, but I will, and I choose to get help for all the things that I need help for. So whether that's my emotional needs, my physical needs, my, men- my mental, um, spiritual, whatever the need is, I look for help for those things and I get support. Um, I have this picture sometimes I talk to people about, which is, you know, when it rains, we often go out with an umbrella because we see rain clouds and we're like, especially in London, especially in the UK, you see a rain cloud, you grab your umbrella. As a black woman with natural hair, I need an umbrella in my bag at all times. <laughs> so it's good to have like an umbrella as covering for when you think the rain's gonna come, but also when you see the rain clouds, you prepare for that. You don't wait for it to rain. But oftentimes when it comes to mental health and mental health support, we see rain clouds, we don't do anything about it until it starts raining. And a lot of people have had the rain batter them. It perhaps starts with little, little like drops of rain, but now it's really heavy, like almost hailstones. And they're still not getting the help they need. So I say, again, look for help. If you find yourself struggling with your mental health, your well-being, seek support. Don't be afraid to say, I, I need a bit of a hand. And um, there's nothing wrong with that. I'm a big advocate for counselling and talking therapy. Just talking like this, having a conversation, mm. it does help. I'm a massive well, well-being advocate now, and I, I'm a big advocate for mental health and positive mental health. And I always like to tell people where they can go for help because, personally, for me, I'm 29 years old. Um, I've gone through counselling three times because I've had various things that affect me over the course of my life. One of it was stress related to work. One of it was stress related to money and finances and debt. Another was just feeling really low about myself and having a whole episode of feeling really depressed and I didn't feel comfortable talking to anybody about that I kind of just smiled my way through it which is what I think a lot of us end up doing so what I want to say to them who may be feeling today that maybe work's gone in front of them or maybe COVID-19 and the consequence of living a life remotely is starting to add up and maybe the cognitive effect is that I'm not coping well and I'm sensing rain clouds outside. I don't want it to rain on me. I would just encourage anyone, really encourage anyone to get help. There are some great charities out there who offer mental health support. Um, you're looking at people like the Samaritans, you're looking at the Mental Health Foundation, you're looking at, obviously, um, mine. Some really good charities out there. But also, if you are an employee, if you do work for a business or organisation, ask your team, ask your HR, ask your manager, where is the help and support available? There might be counselling. We have in my office, in my team, um, the Employee Assistance Programme. They offer counselling and support one-to-one and group sessions. Please do get help. Um, I say this carefully because lockdown has taught us all a lesson, and that is that life is so fleeting, and the mind, the mind is so beautiful, but it's also really, really precious. If you find that you're struggling today, do, do, do ask for help. And maybe if you know that your friend or your colleague is going through a difficult patch, don't be afraid to ask them, are you okay? Like, be that listening ear, be that shoulder. It means more than you can imagine. I always wonder what it would have been like if I had been able or felt comfortable to share with someone when I was going through my mental health issues back when I was going through them. Please, if you feel like you're struggling, don't just listen to this podcast. Do look for help and support. When you're looking to go into a career which is legal or working in government, which is also very demanding and very stressful, look after your mental health, look after your just well-being. Don't allow yourself to just work on empty. Don't allow yourself to be working yourself into a depression. Seek help early. Like, look out for those rain clouds and, yeah, be careful. Oh, that's so great. And thanks for sharing that. I just want to just 
perhaps if you can just expand on two of the points that you just mentioned so around mm-hmm. the, the seeking allies i think particularly how majority of the nation has been on lockdown almost a year plus now and they've had to obviously work from home a lot of our colleagues or friends or support systems have have haven't had that that same um face-to-face contact it's all over kind of teams or zoom or whatever you're, you're using in your workplace um just speak to that a bit more in terms of how important it is just to find allies because if you think about it we're not going to offices so we're not seeing our colleagues every day but so yeah. we're not having those kitchen conversations we're not having those lunchtime conversations we always we almost kind of have to have to book a meeting in teams or the calendar <laughs> for us to have a yeah. sit down kitchen talk so how is it how important is it number one to seek for allies and then number two um your mention around um your voice making you know just being mm. you know, confident to really speak up and particularly for uh those women or men who are from a minority ethnic background um some people do feel particularly in a workspace that because of how they speak or because of what they may say it's and because of their background mm. it's almost as if it's not welcome it's not enough mm-hmm, so mm-hmm, it'll be mm-hmm, good for you mm-hmm. to kind of speak to those points a bit more so. yeah no that's fine i think the first point about finding allies is really important um one of the things that the bible says and i love this quote is he who has many friends must show himself first friendly and i think in order to find people to connect with people you have to be able to connect you have to be able to be friendly so that involves an element of introspection that involves an element of understanding yourself so when i speak allies i say i'm someone who likes to speak allies find allies i am first an ally i am first a friend i am first someone who will ride for you who will celebrate you who will cheer you on that's what i live to do so i think when you're looking for allies first look inside look at yourself um i tell people to collect data on themselves collect data and actually analyze it. What kind of person am I? What kind of temperament do I have? What kind of people do I like to be around? There are some people that I like to be around that maybe they cause me to just flourish and like all my color comes up, like right to the top. And other people, I feel reduced. Other people, I feel small and like somehow suppressed, maybe even invisible. So I think look for allies, look for safe spaces where you can speak freely, speak honestly about what you're going through and where you want to be. But if you haven't got those safe spaces, create them. Yeah. I have a job that is so high pressure, so demanding, so intense because I literally have, and I've always had working in government, whether it's going to support, whether it's writing policy, people's lives I feel are right here in my hands because I feel like everything has such great weight and ramifications so beyond my own mind's comprehension. So I make sure that when I'm not working, I do what I love. And that looks like I said, the (laughs) legal workshops, it looks like having um, a Bible studies for like young women. That's mm. a safe space for me and those women to talk about womanhood and identity issues. Um, it looks like talking about hair care and natural hair. It looks like talking about no, and I writing think, about relationships. I know. I, I think this is great. I think you've hit it on the nail because not everybody has those spaces but guess what we can yeah. create those and i think that's the yeah. biggest takeaway that i want us listeners to, our listeners mm-hmm. to go away we can create stuff so if we're not getting what we need seek those people out seek that community out and create what you what create you need to mm-hmm. have your safe environment to have your environment where you can blossom and bloom because this is your life guess yeah. what? <laughs> and you have mm-hmm. you have the ability to do that so that's great i really really love that can I add one more thing to this about finding allies and like looking for allies? First, becoming an ally, like you said, but also understanding lockdown and being in a pandemic has taught yeah. me one thing. This can out, 
whilst everyone is baking banana bread and like doing like home workouts, <laughs> that is all good and dandy. I'm not, I'm not knocking it. I mean, I like banana bread because I like cake. But this lockdown has served me as a reset. Mm. It's caused me to think about my life and I have thought about what I love doing and what I want to be doing. I've never done a job that I have hated. I've always loved my work because I find something to enjoy in work. However, I now want to be doing more meaningful work, work that I find more pleasure in. And that's why I'm taking whole career change. But I think for those who are looking for allies, perhaps during the lockdown, you found that there aren't enough people around you who actually are supporting you and lifting you up. I would encourage anyone who feels like that to firstly look for those spaces, look for the groups where you can be your true self without fear, without favor, without any kind of mystique. But also if you can't find that space, create it. And I say that because I have created and I continue to create spaces for people who look like me and don't look like me, people who feel like me and don't feel like me. And if you haven't got the space today, make it. Create the community that you want. Just live like that. Great. Love it. Love it. Um, and just speak a little Second bit question. about using your voice. Yeah. Yeah. About using your voice. Um, this is an interesting one for me because like I said I think earlier, I find being a young black woman, I'm often the only young black woman that I see. So I'm very accustomed to using my voice. I'm very accustomed to having to speak up. And that thing you said about feeling like somehow your voice hasn't got power or weight. Oh, yes, it does. Oh, yes, it does. Um, I grew up when I was working, my first job was working for a judge, a middle-aged, middle-class white man. And we became the best of friends over the course of a year and a half because I was his assistant. And every day was spent with this white man, with his colleagues who were also white men. And it was just, it would have been really hard, except I was confident in what I was bringing to the table. Using your voice means understand the power of your voice, also understand what you're bringing. The fact that you have a difference in you is good. It's not a negative. Um, I think sometimes our narrative is that, oh, my difference is bad, but actually my difference is really good. So I think we should tell our stories better. Using your voice means understand that you can speak without having to be critical, without having to be inflammatory, without having to be disrespectful. You can bring rationale, you can bring what I call flavor into a conversation by getting yeah. other people to understand where you're coming from. Um, I think using your voice looks like, firstly understand the power of your voice, firstly understand that you have influence no matter how small you may see it. And actually knowing that when we come into spaces like where I work, where everyone is of a certain place, we all have masters, we've all have gone to certain universities, <laughs> and we all yeah. have been, you know, we've had this kind of similar experience. And maybe I don't because I've lived here and I've gone to this school and I've not gone to that place and blah, 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 blah. I know that my experience of difference is useful because it relates to what other people in the real world have gone through. Yeah. So yeah. using your voice means don't dull yourself. Don't try to, I say, sometimes assimilate too much. Be real. Um, I talk about bringing flavour to life and bringing flavour to work because I feel like, you know, if we don't bring our true selves to our workplaces, then our work will suffer because of it. You know, if we don't bring our true selves to our workplaces, then our work will suffer because of it. In some spaces, you're the only black or brown face. You're the only woman. You're the only young person there. You're the only other person there. And that's a beautiful thing because trust me, people need to see your face there so that they can also go and work there. They can also go and live there. Um, using your voice means don't be afraid so you don't disagree. Sometimes I'm the only voice of dissent in my team, in my group, <laughs> in my area. And I love it because 
again, it's never disrespect, always done with respect and with intelligence that we can disagree well and yeah. still get on. Yeah. <laughs> That's part of working as professionals. Yeah. Oh, fantastic. This is great nuggets, people. Great nuggets. <laughs> um, what would you say is some of the lessons that you have learned along the way? Hmm. So this is not necessarily about work. Um, this is a personal lesson, but I think it's important for anyone and it, it goes to so many different things, right? Um, I told you I'm a policy person, but I'm also transitioning to a different career pathway. And when I'm not working, I do so many other creative things. And one of the things that I do is I write a blog about well, Christian lifestyle and just dating and relationships. And one of my favourite things, one thing I always say is just knowing your worth and knowing what you what deserve, basically. Um, Growing up as a young person, um, my dad always instilled a sense of value into me. And it was really, really important to have that because it gave me confidence, it gave me a standard. Um, but as I grew up, <laughs> past my teenage years and through my early adulthood, that value became smaller and smaller because I listened to other things and I started hearing and believing lies, really just lies about myself. And it's one of the things I've learned actually is to remember your worth. Um, I have to take it back to God. I have to take it back to my faith because as a Christian, as someone who believes in God, I believe that I am sent by God. I believe that God doesn't make mistakes. When he made me, when he makes me, he doesn't make mistakes. Also, that my life has a purpose. Like, God has placed value intrinsically within me and my life has a purpose. So even when I'm not sure what's going on around me, I know that there's value to me. I know that there's purpose. So I think, number one, I think one of the things that I've learned is to know what I am worth but also to know what I deserve and what I don't deserve I mean, because sometimes we get that a bit confused don't we so <laughs> we start taking things that aren't meant for us and that also is really really deadly sometimes and really really dangerous um, another thing I would say that I have learned and this is really important going back to the whole mental health and well-being is that rest is really really good yeah. <laughs> and it's not a crime to yeah. rest <laughs> you know I think so often we are doing the most and we're not doing much for ourselves. And I've learned that rest is so, so good, that I have permission to rest. But actually, again, biblically looking at the Bible, God commands me to rest. Jesus rested, I'm commanded to rest. And actually, I make plans to rest. It's so important to have cycles of rest, cycles of relaxation. It's so important to have a day off during the week where you can just take everything off, pull up, like unplug yourself out and just chill. This is Very where people need to release this red country border and allow us people to go to Dubai <laughs> and have a holiday. <laughs> I can't even start with you. When I tell you holidays are booked, we have to go in my mind I see myself on a nice sandy beach yes. doing something very sweet enjoying my good life I would just want to say I love to travel so like not having gone on a holiday last year has taken its toll but even when it comes to resting I love to go on retreats I can't mm. go on a retreat given the current climate but I can still make and take time to retreat from yeah. the world from yeah. other things rest is so so crucial that's what I've really really learned oh this is fantastic and my final question is um 20 30 50 years down the line uh <laughs> what would you like your legacy to be mm, that's a really good question mm. that's a really good question i think i'm going to take it back to what i said originally that i am someone's daughter and in my family we have home names for each other so my name's Stephanie Solomon. my dad um, my parents call me blessing that's my name at home i have a because you're a blessing I think my legacy has to be that, that I am a blessing. And she was, when they write it on my tombstone, I want them to say about me, she was a blessing, whether it was to 
her work in the civil service, whether it was in court to those that she represented, whether it was to single women, single men, whether it was to young women, whether it was in her church, whether it was to her husband and her children, she was a blessing. Oh, this is great. Thank you so much, Stephanie. It's just been so wonderful to have you on the show. <laughs> Thank I you just for really having feel me. that people will just be really encouraged and blessed by what you've shared today. So thank you so much. Thank you. Thank you. It's been so beautiful. Thank you, Asha. It's been wonderful. And yeah, I love these conversations. They've been so rich. I've learned so much from your previous guest. So uh, I, yeah, I also hope you'll learn from me too. <laughs> great. Thank you again. We'll speak soon. Take care. You're welcome. See you later. Bye. Bye. And for those who would like to get in touch with us, please do reach out to us. We're currently on Instagram and Facebook. Our Instagram handle is at www.realtalk and our Facebook handle is Women Working Well. Uh, so do search us. Um, we'd love to hear from you. Do comment, like, share, share again to your networks. Um, we do want to hear from you. So until next time, this is your host, Atom Henshaw, and we're signing out from Women Working Well. Have a great rest of the week. Take care.